0: Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. I just love what um, our team has been able to put together this week. Um, I love it. is a picture to me of what the church really is. That the church is not canceled this morning. uh, The church is not shut down. That the church is a people. It's not a building. And that scattered around, that collectively we come together, that we can create and we can be a part of something so much bigger than any one of us. And so for those who you just saw on the screen and for those behind the screen who made it possible, thank you for being a part and and showing us of what it looks like to be a part of a church. For those who are joining us today, thank you for being here, whether you're new to Encounter Church or whether you call Encounter Church your home. I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us this morning for Easter. My name is Chris Causey, and let me be one of the first people, hopefully first person outside of your household to tell you, Happy Easter. Um, growing up, one of the things that I remember noticing when I was younger was uh the word okay. The word okay was one of those weird words. I, I have kind of this I get drawn into things that just kind of spark my curiosity. And I noticed one of the first times I saw the word okay that it, it seemed to be an abbreviation. Or actually remember having a conversation with um an English teacher around this. Like, is this is the word okay an abbreviation or is it a word? And they're like yes. And I'm like, well, which one? And they're like, yes. Um, And and never, like no one ever had an answer for me when I saw the word okay as an abbreviation. Because the word okay was an abbreviation. Now it's been shrunk down and oftentimes on your computer screens, um, on dashboards, on your credit card checkout things in grocery stores. And in the phrase that you utter, it's been reduced to a simple word. And as an adult, one day I just got curious. I was like, "What's up with OK? Turns out that OK began as a fad in the 1830s. Turns out that uh, young intellectuals in Boston uh, wanted to create a kind of code that would make it make them look a little cool. Uh, LOL, right? And so they actually um, had this. Uh, thing they did, right? So the phrase enough said was a phrase in the 1830s that were common. And so what they'd do is they would take the word and they would slightly kind of uh, misspell it. So enough said became enough said. And then they would abbreviate the misspelling. And so if you were having to be talking to your friend and they gave you enough information, you could say KC, right? And one of the popular phrases that was going around 1830s, was the phrase all correct. And what happened was they misspelled it to all correct, which then was abbreviated okay. And this caught on. Uh, Van Buren's presidential campaign used the phrase okay a lot. Um, And then the telegraph came along and took it to a next level. And now, um, it's probably one of the most recognizable words um, in any language, if not the English language. And it's arguably the first word that was ever said on the moon when we landed. Now, the thing about okay is I think it's somewhat similar to maybe how many of us think about the word Easter. We know what it is. Uh, Even if you didn't grow up in church, no doubt you probably know what the Easter story is. But my desire this morning is that you and I would have a deeper understanding of why the Easter story matters so much and why the Easter story happened in the first place. And to take you on that journey, I want to take you back to a moment That was a couple thousand years before the moment Jesus rose from the dead. It was arguably one of the most famous moments and recognizable moments in Israel's history. It was the moment when Moses encounters a burning bush. Now Moses was a man who had grown up in Pharaoh's household. He, as an adult, discovers the fact that he's, in fact, an Israeli, that he's Jewish, and that his people... His real people are enslaved to the very people that he grew up calling um, his parents and his loved ones. And so it creates a bit of a tension and Moses tries to start an uprising that completely fails. And in the course of that moment, he runs out into the wilderness and he spends the next 40 years of his life as a fugitive. And then one day he wanders in the wilderness on the backside of a mountain that's called Mount Oreb. And there on the side is a bush that's burning, but it's kind of an oddity. It, it's burning, but it's not being burned up. So because Moses is essentially living his COVID-19 life, because he has nothing else to do, he walks over to this bush because it's a little different. Um, and so as he walks over to the bush, he gets close and the bush begins to speak to him. And you see, God is using this bush, this very ordinary thing, to make this extraordinary announcement. God's using this burning bush to grab Moses' attention. And what I can attest after walking with God for 18 years is that God still uses ordinary things to grab hold of our attention. And that day, he's grabbing hold of Moses' attention to tell him, that he's heard about and he's heard his people's tension living under Egypt's rule. And that he's picked Moses to be the person to carry out his plan, to walk into to Pharaoh's throne room and to declare to Pharaoh, God has sent me here to tell you to let his people go free. And so Moses is sitting listening to this talking bush. And as he's listening, he's kind of processing through his backstory. He's like, okay, so I've got to go to the leaders of the Jewish people, tell the, Isra- the Israelites that God has sent me to them. And so he says this to God. Suppose, like hypothetically, I go to them and I say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Then they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, Moses isn't just asking for what's on God's driver's license or what's on his nameplate. He's, he's asking a little bit more than that. He, he's like, what's your reputation? What have you done? That's the question they're going to want to know, God. I can tell them about a burning bush, but I'm probably going to need a little bit more than that because you probably know my backstory, but I tried to do a revolution one time and it completely fell on its face and... Well, I'm a fugitive there. So I need a little bit more than a burning bush story. And so God says this I am who I am. That is what you're to say to the Israelites. The I am has sent me to you. Well, that's a, a really strange phrase. God is declaring over Moses his essence is always, always been, that he is and will always be the I am, that he is powerful, that he is greater and stronger and wider and deeper and higher and more unfathomable than anything Moses could ever comprehend, and so he answers Moses with the simple phrase that I am, Moses, you were not, but when you were not, I am. And when you will not be, I am still the I am. It's a declaration of his infiniteness, his power, his majesty, his glory. He says, Moses, Moses, I formed this mountain with the words of my mouth. I made the oceans with the movement of my words. I sparked the universe with just a phrase, Moses, I am. I am greater. I am stronger. I am wider. I am, I am infinite. Moses is like, okay, wow. But it's not enough. God also says, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. It's like, that is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. That is my reputation. That is what I have done. I am the infinite one. The I am. But the thing I don't want you to miss is when he adds on. Because he could have stopped with the I am the mountain maker, the ocean tamer, right? I am the universe former. The first, the last, and everything in between. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just end with the infinite. He wants them to know who he is, not what he can do and what he is. And so he makes the point to add to his nameplate that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is profound. Because as Moses walks into that room to declare that day that the I Am has sent him, he says, oh, by the way, he wanted me to tell you he's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And all of a sudden, the people in the room who've heard that he's the infinite one, they've been checked out and they're starting to lean in. And now, they're leaning in even more because the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob is speaking volumes because he's not just the infinite one. Now he's the one intimate one. He's the one who knows the fathers. He's the one who knows Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's the one who changed their story. And if he changed their story, then maybe he can change my story too. So now they're leaning in and they're saying, tell me more. And it's interesting that God chooses to put on his nameplate these three men. Because they all have a story. Each one's unique. God does something different in the story of each one of their lives. God's up to something. Abraham wasn't always Abraham. Most of his life, a majority of his life, in fact, people called him Abram. And when they said Abram, it was a reminder of what he lacked he and his wife Sarah, they were way past any years of having children. And in the ancient world, not having kids, it had a special weight of shame attached to it. And not just shame, but sustenance, because to have kids, that was your social security plan. That was your welfare system. That was the structure. That was your retirement. That was your IRA. And they had none of that. Abram and his wife had no future, but he'd been faithful. And in the midst of decades of grieving, of decades of hopelessness, God steps in and rewrites his story, and Abram becomes Abraham. Isaac, who's a coward, whose life is marked by choices that's Reflective of his chicken-like nature. God steps into his story and redirects the course of his life. And then perhaps the most startling of it all was the God of Jacob. Now Jacob, Jacob's name literally meant hill grabber, which was a kind of an an idiom. It meant uh, deceiver, manipulator, thief, liar. I mean, Jacob lived up to his name. He was a master manipulator. He stole his brother's inheritance. He drove his family apart. He caused grief that rippled for generations. But what's fascinating is where Abraham is the name God gave Abram. Jacob is not the name God gave him. See, God stepped into Jacob's life and it was literally a wrestling match with Jacob fighting with God and what God desired for him. And it was so so defined Jacob's life that God actually changed Jacob's name to, to he who fights with God, which was the name Israel. Israel was Jacob's new name. and In fact, all the Israelites would come from his family. That's why they were called the Israelites. And yet, when God chose to give his calling card to Moses that day, he doesn't say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Israel. He says the God of Jacob. You see, I think in that room that day, there were probably some people who they, they heard the infinite one. That's good. All, everybody claims they've got the infinite God. But that God's probably not interested in me. The infinite would definitely not be interested in me. Because if he's infinite, he probably knows what I've done. And when they hear the God of Jacob, they hear that God is for everyone, not just certain someones. Because Abram, well, Abram was faithful to God. Isaac was, he was a coward, but I mean, he wasn't a criminal. And then Jacob, Jacob actually was a criminal. Jacob destroyed families, and yet he's the God of Jacob too? Forever and ever, God was going to put on his calling card, he's the God of Jacob? And what I love about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is it communicated then what it can communicate today to you and to me, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still in the service of giving people who feel like they have no future a future. He's still in the business of taking people who feel trapped in their present, who feel crushed by the realities of today, and he gives them a hope for tomorrow. He's the God who steps into every single circumstance. He's the God who steps and pursues after every single one of us. That none of us are beyond the grasp of his love and his grace. That God is still giving out futures today like he did that distant yesterday. Which I think in this season is really helpful because I sometimes don't even know what day it is because the last few weeks have just kind of become one long continuous day. And I've almost wanted to throw my calendar out the window because it doesn't matter if it's this month or next month. And if, if you read too much news, it's next year, right? I mean, there's so much anxiety because many of us are living in a place where we're not sure what our tomorrow holds and if it'll ever hold a future. Because you can flip through a calendar and have tomorrows and still not have a future. And many of us can feel like that right now. And what I love about the reminder, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is that you and I can have a future regardless of our past and our present. He's the one who's still stepping in and transforming stories. He's still stepping in to everyone Who opens the door and who cries out to him. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not just the God of our successes. He's the God of the failures, too. He's the God of those who don't feel like they're enough. He's the God of those who feel like the world has forgotten them. He's the God of those who feel alone. He's the God of those who feel like they're not sure if they have a tomorrow. He's the God of those who are unemployed. He's the God of those who feel forgotten. And he's the God of the sick. And he's the God of the healthy. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that declaration is a declaration that that echoes above us on Easter because when he perished on that cross, he had the whole world in his hand because his heart was big enough for all of us. And like a good father, he was chasing after every single one of us, even as we, like Jacob, were desperately running away from him. I love playing chase with my daughter because um, one of the things early in is I would always throttle my speed a little bit. And I could see it. She would start to feel confident, like she could outrun me. And every once in a while, I would kick it to my next gear, just a reminder that Daddy was so much faster than she'll ever be. And I think God that day with that bush was trying to grab hold of Moses' attention. And that day when he walked in and said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was trying to grab a hold of their attention. And that perhaps maybe this Easter, God's trying to grab a hold of your attention too, to show you that even though he lets you run, in the end, there's no place you can run, there's no place you can go to escape his love. But how do you experience it? How do you become a Christian? be another way of asking that question. The good news of the Easter story is something that that theologians can dedicate their entire lives to studying and researching and digging into, and it's simple enough for kids to understand. I have a visual that's helped me kind of grasp the the entirety of the good news of the Easter story. I want to share it with you. Because it helps answer that question of how do I become a Christian? What is a Christian? You see, we were created for a world that was perfect. You and I catch remnants of that world all the time. It's in the laughter of a child. It's in the, the breeze across our face. It's on that Sunday afternoon where we have nothing to do and we are able to take a nap. It's in having a really solid friendship that you just walk away feeling refueled, no matter how you walked into the conversation. It's present in the sunset that takes your breath away. It's in all of these little and big moments all around us, the wonder of the stars, all those things. And yet, the reality is, is that those are just the remnants. Most of our experience is haunted by the reality of being in a broken world. You see, we were created for this world, but because of our choice and what philosophers and theologians have called sin, we live in a world that's broken. The word sin is, I think, a very interesting word because it comes from this idea of archery, as if when you pull and you release your arrow, it misses the mark. And to sin is to miss the mark. It's to not live up to. It's not to, it doesn't hit the target of God's design and God's intention. And it lands outside of that in what we would call brokenness or sinfulness. It's not just the bad things that we do. It's the good things that we don't do. The love we don't show to our neighbor. It's all of those things. It's, it's everywhere. It's insidious. It's, and the fact that we have to have car keys and wear clothes. It's from cancer to COVID-19. It's from injustice and racism all the way to the coffin that we'll all one day occupy. And that the divide between where we are and where we were meant to be is an infinite one that we can't cover. But we want to and we try. It comes out through our pursuit of other things that we think are going to fill us up it's in the pursuit of well if i just make enough money if i just have a big enough house if i just have the right degrees on the wall if i have just the right you know office or title then i'll be happy then i'll feel full then i won't feel empty and yet each one of those eventually it wears off and the emptiness returns and the desires reawaken and we fall into the trap of thinking the next thing is going to get it for me. The next relationship I get into is finally going to complete me. C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is we were created for a different world. And our desire and our pursuit takes us away for the ultimate design we were meant to have. And this is a place of Constant struggle. And for thousands of years, humans lived with the reality of being broken and having no way to repair. Of being spiritually disconnected from the God who created them. And then enter the Easter story where God steps into the world and becomes like us so that we could become right with him and be restored. That Jesus stepped into our world To be a bridge for us to step into his. Because he was the infinite one. Because he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He created that bridge for us. One that we never could create ourselves. And that when he stepped out of the empty tomb. When he stepped out and his disciples, the the men and the women who had followed him saw his face. They begin to go around and tell people the good news that because of Jesus, you no longer had to wonder if you were okay with God, that you could be right with God, you could be forgiven, you could be made new, that God was still in the business of taking Abram and turning him into Abrahams, and God was still in the business of taking Jacob's and transforming them into Israel's, that God could step into your life and into my life and transform us from the inside out. And that was good news. We could be free. Not just free and forgiven from our past, but having our present and our future, joy, peace, and love, and goodness, all those things from his world that would step into ours, that we could have and experience that daily because of what he was doing as he was transforming us from the inside out. And that the way that we move towards that as they begin to, to preach and proclaim this good news, or another way that good news eventually transformed into the word gospel, was the was the word repent, was the turn from that pursuit of all those other things, as trying an ultimate satisfier. And the turn to God. And it's as simple as saying, God, I am so sorry for the bad that I have done and the good that I have not done. I acknowledge that ancient word, what was called sin. I acknowledge the sin in my life. And I turn away from it. And I turn to you, trusting you, or what the ancients called faith in you. I put my trust and my faith in you, Jesus. And that what you did on the cross, that those two beams and three nails... And the hands of the divine carpenter could become the bridge for me to experience new life. And that that simple prayer, that simple turning from and trusting in. Is the thing that allows us to walk across the bridge and become a Christian. And this Easter for some of you, that may be the step you need to take. That when I pray in a few minutes that you would join with me in praying. And asking God to step into your life as you turn towards his life. And that for those who stepped into this day. Who've already stepped across this bridge. That you would be reminded today through the Easter story. Through the hope that he brings. That even when our life. And our circumstances are not okay. That we're okay because of Jesus. That you no longer have to walk and wonder. Is God counting my failures against me? Is God counting my struggles against me? That you would be reminded today that you serve the God of Jacob. Who on his nameplate is a reminder that no matter what you've done. No matter who you are. He's still chasing after you. And it's a reminder that you'll be okay. Even if your circumstances aren't. The headline of Easter is that Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated. And that we've been made okay with God. And that, in the end, makes everything okay. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you're exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.